You make all things beautiful in your time. We thank you for the work that you've started in our lives and for the promise that you will complete it. We thank you for Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Right now, the country of Venezuela is going through a humanitarian crisis of epic proportions. I didn't know this, but Venezuela has the world's largest oil supply, even greater than Saudi Arabia. But due to some mismanagement and corruption, uh, they are facing a crisis in which food prices have skyrocketed and 1.3 million people are facing starvation as a result. And it has completely redrawn the social landscape. I want to read an article from a, uh, a story that was written on the crisis in Venezuela. For many low-income families, the crisis has completely redrawn the social landscape. Mothers go days without eating, shriveling to the weight of children themselves. Young boys leave home and join street gangs to scavenge for scraps, their bodies bearing the scars of knife fights with competitors. Crowds of Adults storm dumpsters after restaurants close and babies die because it's hard to find or afford infant formula, even in the emergency rooms, and children are arriving with the same weight and height of a newborn. The devastation that Venezuela is experiencing right now and the, currently the government is not allowing any humanitarian aid to get into the country and the doctors are not allowed to document even the, the data as to exactly how many children are dying because of starvation and malnutrition. The recent trend has been that women are choosing to be sterilized instead of bear children that they're unable to feed. And the story goes on to say that the lines outside of these sterilization clinics go for a long time as hundreds, if not thousands of women are making this just incredible decision to choose sterilization rather than to bring a child into the world that they are un unable to feed. Stories are told of mothers that are unable to find formula, so they're having to mix water with rice starch to feed their children, and it's damaging the internal organs as the liver and uh, these, these children are, are dying. We need to pray for Venezuela, amen, uh, that the Lord will just touch the leader's heart so that they will open this country to humanitarian aid. And uh, many individuals are unaware of this crisis that is taking place there. These mothers are grappling with this unimaginable decision of whether to bring someone into this world and then have the challenge of being unable to find the resources to feed their children, and uh, they're having to choose not to bear children at all. This is 
a very important aspect of human life. It's important to be born, and it's important to have the proper nutrition and resources after birth. And the same is true for the Christian life as well. It's important to be born again, and it's also too important to have life after the new birth as well. Both, I would say, are equally important. You need to have new life, and also you need to have spiritual life and nutrition after you have experienced the spiritual birth. Now, in our Sabbath school class, we're going through the sanctuary, and for those of you that are in there, just bear with me as I do a brief review. The sanctuary depicts a model of the Christian experience. There's many things that the sanctuary points to, but one of them is our own journey from birth to growth in our Christian experience. Here we have the sanctuary. This is a bird's eye view of the mosaic sanctuary, as though you're looking from the top down. You have the courtyard, the outer compartment, uh, which has two articles of furniture. You have the altar burnt offering and the laver. Then you have the holy place, which has three articles of furniture. You can see them there, the table of showbread, uh, the lampstand, and the altar of incense. And then you have the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant resided. Now, Adam and Eve were here in Edenic perfection. They were able to have a face-to-face communion with God. Because of sin, the entire human race were out here. And so this is a kindergarten illustration, as it were, to help us to understand that God wants us to bring God wants to bring us all the way back to that face-to-face communion with God that Adam and Eve had. And he does this through three distinct processes. First, you have the new birth. Uh, You have the altar burnt offering and the labor, baptism and the new birth. And then you come into the holy place, and you'll notice that there's three distinct articles of furniture. You have the table of showbread where the bread resided, you had the lampstand where the light was, and then you had the altar of incense. And scholars have made the application that these three articles of furniture refer to, in application to our Christian experience, you have the table of showbread, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, the word of God. You have the lampstand, which is the Holy Spirit shining through us. Uh, An application there is, is ministry or witnessing. And then you have the altar of incense, which the book of Revelation indicates signifies the prayers of God's people. So you have three distinct elements that are essential for life after the new birth. Prayer, Bible study, and ministry. Those three ingredients are important. So after you're born, Those three elements are important to keep you alive spiritually after you have become alive. When a baby is born into the world, there comes this startling realization that this baby cannot just be placed on a shelf, and uh, it's amazing, so much of the focus is on the birth, but then you realize it's like afterbirth is a, a whole other reality. My dad said, enjoy the time when the baby's inside, because once 
he gets out, then, you know, life dramatically changes. And it's, amen, right? It's the same way, you know, we can't assume, you know, that when a baby's born, it's like, oh, that's it. Praise God. All right, let's go on. It's not like that. The baby requires daily care and nurturing. And it's the same way in our Christian experience. We're born again, and then through divine grace, there are three elements that keep us alive after we become alive, all right? Now, we need to be born again first. That's the, that's the first thing. But these three things are important. We need to eat daily. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, table of showbread. We need to pray and we need to minister. There's uh, one application that uh, came out, Bible study, prayer, and ministry, and one of my colleagues came up with this interesting way of putting it. Read, feed, all right, Uh, this will work. Okay, prayer, air, and witness, fitness. All right, that's an important way of looking at it, all right? So read, feed, prayer, air, witness, fitness. So if you are struggling in your Christian experience, let's say you've had a born-again experience and you find that things are not up to par, you're not feeling that your experience with God is the same, here is a good spiritual assessment to ask yourself. How is my time eating, spending time with God's Word? How is my time in prayer And how is my time in ministry for him? And typically what you will find is that one of those three areas have been kind of diminished. Uh, And that's an assessment that you can take. When's the last time I, I ate? When's the last time I took in prayer or prayed, breathed, and when's the last time I exercised spiritually? This is a good assessment to take, and um, we talked last week about prayer, prayer being the breath of the soul, and breathing is so important that there's a part of your brain that makes this happen automatically. Can you imagine if we had to consciously focus in order to breathe? oh, I forgot to breathe for half an hour. It just doesn't work. And food is very important too. We need to eat every single day. And I know exercise is a a very challenging thing, but, but witnessing is like exercise. It is like ministry for him. And so today I want to talk a little bit about the last one. We did our first part of the series on the Word of God, the second one on prayer. And today is witness fitness And there's a text that I want to um, bring out to you about witnessing. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 19, the Bible says, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. That is what witnessing is about. It's telling your story about what God has done for you. A very beautiful way of putting it. Now, if you if experience something just wonderful, which we have through the grace of Jesus Christ and the love that he's shown to us, it is telling the story of what God has done for him. Now, this is from the book Steps to Christ. And by the way, I try to read this book every single year. 
and it seems like it never gets old. I want to encourage you to get that little book, Steps to Christ, and get it online and, and read it through. Uh, there's so many gems in there that are practical for the Christian experience. And here is one of them in relationship to witness fitness. A man who would refuse to exercise his limbs would soon lose all power to use them. Thus, the Christian who will not exercise his God-given powers not only fails to grow up in Christ, but he loses the strength that he already had. Very important point in relationship to ministry and witnessing. Now, there's an interesting story in the Bible of the five loaves and two fishes. Remember that story and the feeding of the 5,000? Now, there's something interesting that takes place in that story. It was a miracle. Jesus fed 5,000 people, not counting women and children, with just five loaves and two fish. And you imagine that as the disciples went back to get that bread and fish, it, it seemed like a bottomless pit in which more and more came out. But I want you to notice the way that this miracle took place. It's in Matthew chapter 14, and notice what the Bible says here. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He then gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Notice the way that this miracle took place. Jesus did not need the disciples to distribute the food, right? How many of you think that he needed the disciples? He didn't. He's God. He could have just snapped his fingers and all of the bread and the fish were distributed just miraculously and then they ate. But notice there was an important aspect of this miracle. It was the disciples. The disciples were to be the channel through which the bread flowed. In other words, they went to Jesus, got the bread and the fish, and then took it to the multitude. And in this process, the miracle of multiplication took place. It must have been amazing to be the disciples. You know, they get some bread, okay, I don't know how this is gonna work, and the fish, and they give it to the people and say, hey, um, you better just spread that thing out because I don't know if there's more from where that came from, okay? Just, just warning, there's only five, and then they go back, and then they're like, you know, this is, this is a long process. Go back and keep going. They're like, wait a minute. You know, and then they get up 5,000. Remember, this is not counting men, women, and children. So arguably 15,000 people. This took a long time. This was a long distribution process. Keep going back and buy, you know, if I, it was me, buy 5,000, 6,000. I'm saying there is something uncanny going on here. Unusual. But notice the way that Jesus chose to have this miracle take place. The disciples played a part in it. Jesus chose the disciples to distribute the bread. Now, in application, I'm so glad that we don't have to produce the bread. Amen? We just need to know where the source is. And as we endeavor to feed by the grace of God, and minister to the needs of the people out there, how many of you ever feel overwhelmed with the impossibility of it? There's no way. I look at Anchorage, and I say, Father, 
how in the world are we going to ever do this? Just anchorage. But God says, look, just trust me. You just need to know where the bread is. And as you commit to be the distributor of the bread, I will be in the process of multiplication. Let him perform the miracle, and we need to be a part of the faithfulness of the process. It doesn't always make sense. It's not always logical, but this is a beautiful miracle that indicates the process of how God works. Now, this is from Steps to Christ again, that book that I encourage you to read. Look at this. God might have committed the message of the gospel and all the work of loving ministry to the heavenly angels. Now, I want you to think about that. If you're about to go on a mission, all right, in reaching your most precious prized entity, which is the human race, and you're having to choose who's going to give someone a Bible study, and you look over and you see the angel Gabriel, who's got an IQ of, I don't know, 2,000, I don't know, whatever it is, and then you look at David Shin, wow, is that a tough choice? No, it isn't, all right? David Shin may mess it up, but God has chosen humanity in the proclamation of the gospel. Very fascinating as to why God did this. It says, but in his infinite love, he chose to make us co-workers, important word there, with himself, with Christ and the angels, that we might share the blessing, the joy, the spiritual uplifting, which results from this unselfish ministry. This is one aspect of it. And I know you've experienced this before. There is nothing more joyful than giving of yourself in service to others with nothing expected in return. There's something just joyous about it. And I've been on vacation trips uh, I had the privilege of going to some very exotic places, and even though I'm enjoying myself, I told my wife the other day after coming back from ministry experience, and I said, you know what? Giving of myself in this particular instance was better than Hawaii, and I can't explain it. You, you know what I'm saying? I know that you've experienced this before. When you're clothing the naked and feeding those that don't have food and you're giving of yourself, there is a joy that you experience through that type of, of giving. And that's the way our world was supposed to work. There is no ocean that keeps all the water. It gives it. It gives it. And the clouds don't keep it. They give it. And the rivers don't keep it, they give it. That is the way that our world works. And it is only the selfish heart of man that cleaves to his self and consolidates everything. So this is an important part. God wants us to experience the joy of others. And the effort to bless others will react in blessings upon ourselves. This is the highest honor, the greatest joy that it's possible, it is possible for God to bestow upon men. And there have been so many instances in which I have been ministering for others and I come away more blessed than the individuals that received. My uncle 
is a dentist. He graduated from Loma Linda, had a thriving practice, and uh, he goes every single year uh, overseas to the Philippines. And I've just seen a transformation in his own life. Uh, He pays his whole airfare and lodging and treats, I think, with his team 5,000 people in the course of like seven days. And it's a double hit on his finances because he's a dentist and he's not able to make money during that entire time. And he made this huge post on Facebook about the joy. I mean, here's a man that is losing money by not working during that time, by giving of his airfare and time and resources and doing this absolutely free. And he says, this is one of the most joyful things I've done in my life. And he takes these pictures with these individuals that are just smiling because of the dental work that he was able to do on them. There's something about this experience. And God says, look, I don't want you to miss out on the joy of ministry. The effort to bless others will react in blessing upon ourselves. I have a picture on the screen. This is a picture of the Dead Sea. It is the lowest point on planet Earth where there's a body of water. And uh, this is a, 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 a picture of the um, the. I don't know what you call it, but these are the salt uh, formations that build because of the high salt content. And uh, the salt content is so high that the surface tension of the water um, is higher than, than average. You remember in elementary school when you would float paper clips? Maybe that was just me. You know, you put a bunch of salt in there and then the surface tension increases. I was just second grade, I was like, oh, amazing. And you can float paper clips. Anyways, this is what happens on another level here is the surface tension is so high because of the salt that you can just float in there and, and read a, a newspaper. The Dead Sea is a remarkable body of water and there's a reason why it's called dead is because there is virtually no life in the Dead Sea. It cannot exist. And the reason that the Dead Sea is dead is because it is receiving water from the Jordan River, but it has no outlet. I want you to think about that. It's always receiving the blessings and all of the things that come from the Jordan River, but there is no outlet, and it is dead. And the same applies to our own Christian experience. If we are only receiving, it's just like if all you do is breathe and eat, and you don't exercise, then your Christian experience starts to atrophy. Here it is, Desire of Ages, page 142. God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid, but in order for us to develop a character like Christ, we must share in his work. We must share in his work. Now, this is a story that is told of a man that was in a blizzard, and he got lost, the temperature dropped, Uh, It began to get colder and colder, and it was uh, getting darker and darker outside, and he finally came to the place where he had given up hope, and he laid down to die. 
And as he was about to close his eyes and fall into a sleep in which he knew he would never wake up, he heard in the distance a man that was caught in the same blizzard and calling for help. So in this man's stupor, about, about to close his eyes and die, he, he crawls to where this other man is calling for help, finds the man, gets him on shoulder to shoulder, and says, look, we are going to get through this together. And he looks around and finally sees a light in the distance, and they struggle, and they crawl, and they help each other. And finally, he gets to the doorstep of that house, knocks on the door, is ushered into the home. They are saved. They are saved at last. And then the realization hits him that in saving this man, he had really saved himself. He had really saved himself. Now, there's an interesting statement in the spirit of prophecy that says that those that are fighting sin and endeavoring to gain victory over the addictions of their lives, one of the most proactive ways of doing that is an unselfish service to others. Now think about that. So many times we focus and say, oh, I'm we make the addiction the focus, but what the statement is saying is that by being involved in active service for others, many times the natural byproduct of that is victory over our besetting sins and addictions. And so if you have an area of your life that you're struggling with, perhaps you have too much idle time. Perhaps you're not actively involved in service for the Lord Jesus, and that is an important consideration for us to make in terms of our service for him. There's a story in 2 Kings of a siege in Samaria, and the Bible indicates in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 25, and there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a, a donkey's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of donkeys, donkeys, doves dung for five pieces of silver. In Bible times, what they would do is they would surround these cities, cut off all the resources, not allow the merchants to come in, cut off the water source, and they would literally starve the city to death. And that's what was taking place in Samaria. And as economics goes, as they ran out of food, there were things that you would never eat that was on the market. Doves dung for five pieces of silver. I don't know what that was, $50. All right, four score pieces of silver, a donkey's head. This was the nature of the market in Samaria, and it got even worse. As for the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord the king. And then he asked her, What's the matter? She answered, The woman said to me, Give up your son. We may eat him today, and, we'll eat, and tomorrow we'll eat my son. They had resorted to cannibalism, not only cannibalism, but eating their own children. And so the story goes on. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so that we may eat him. But she had hidden him. This was the nature of what was taking place in the city of Samaria. And the king just lost it. He cried and tore his clothes. 
And as they were in this predicament, the Bible indicates then the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. These men said, look, we have nothing to lose. And when you read this account, they said, look, if we stay inside the city, we will die. If we go outside, we will die. So they said, look, we might as well go outside because maybe they will have mercy on us. And they go out to the camp of the enemy that had, had surrounded them. Then the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver and gold. Evidently, during the night, that entire army had been startled and left everything behind. There was no one there. And so they go in there and they eat and drink and carried away silver and gold and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid themselves also. These men were starving. They were hungry and they find this camp has been completely deserted. And they are hungry. They're eating. They're like, this is the best thing ever. Have you tried this rice? Have you tried this bread? This is amazing. And they're just going from tent to tent, just ransacking and having a wonderful time, just wallowing in the food and all the things that they have found. Then this sudden epiphany happens. It's fascinating. Then they said to each other, I imagine it in my vivid, you know, between a morsel of bread, wait a minute, we are not doing right. We, wait, 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 wait. We are not doing right. This is a day, notice what it says. This is a day of good news. And what are we doing? We're keeping it to ourselves. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. The realization from these lepers, they have found something. That would be the salvation of the people inside. And they said, look, we are not doing right. We are keeping this to ourselves. This is a day of good news. Every time I drive into Anchorage, you don't have to drive far. And you see individuals with the placards, the cardboard boxes, And you see individuals that are going to the broken cisterns of the world. People are dying because of a lack of a knowledge of God. And here we are. We've been blessed with so much. Amen. We have been. Knowledge of God, appreciation of his love for us. And I pray that in our daily experience, Every day we'll have this epiphany. (laughs) Today is a day of good news. Amen. Let's go and share this with someone else. Last quote before we close, Steps of Christ, page 78. No sooner does one come to Christ that there is born in his heart a desire to make known to others what a precious friend he has found in Jesus. The saving and sanctifying truth cannot be shut up in his heart. Witnessing is the natural response of having experienced Jesus Christ. But we first have to experience him, amen? Daily, daily. And it is from that well that springs to overflowing that we're able to share the love of Christ with others.
Let us pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord, you could have chosen angels, but you choose us because you do not want us to miss out on the joy of unselfish service. And also, you know that it will help us to become more like you. Lord, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of ministry opportunities that are available right here in Anchorage. And Lord, today, we want to say, here I am, send me. Lord, give us the opportunity, and we know that you will once we pray this prayer. Give us the opportunity to share Jesus and to co-labor with you and to also experience just the, the joy and the happiness that comes from unselfish service. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.